Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of Songwriter Theory. And this week, we are going to talk about how to write a more interesting melody. Because melodies are uh, just a little bit important, right? Because a song, we've talked about this before, but a song is basically three parts, right? You have your lyrics, assuming you have lyrics. You have your melody, and then you have uh, technically harmony, um, but as songwriters, we usually think of this more as, uh, chords or chord progression. Um, technically harmony, of course, is anything that's pairing with the melody that is, is, you know, but for the sake of songwriting, usually that harmony is just in the form of chords, whether that's chords on a guitar or piano riffs that, you know, can be broken down into basic chords and what the, the chords you're playing are. Um, regardless, melody is um, probably one of the two most important parts of your song. I would argue lyrics and melody are two most important, although um, it depends what you're going for. If you're going for just popularity, maybe just melody or just... or or, uh, and we're going to do a podcast on this in a couple of weeks, but, um, or just, you know, have a pop star sing it and it will be popular regardless of how good it actually is because it doesn't matter because it's going to fill the radio waves and all the people of the earth will assume it's good because it's thrown in their face constantly. And then they'll like it because that's what happens with stuff that you're given. And shove, have shoved down your throat over and over and over again. Um, sometimes some of us are not uh, quite as much like that. But the mass populace in general is, unfortunately. But anyway, that's a subject for another time. For this time, I'm talking about writing more interesting melody. Specifically, I'm going to talk about four what we're going to call levers of melodic interest. So... Just as an idea, the, the the reason I'm using the word lever here is you basically can... What, what can you do with a lever? You basically can dial it up and you can dial it down. Um, and to me, mentally, that made a lot of sense with what we're talking about here. Where basically everything is going to be uh, verses, like a, um, you know, you can do this thing versus this thing. Um And one of those is not better than the other. One of those is not inherently more interesting than the other. other. Um, What makes a melody interesting, what makes things interesting, is the constant movement up and down of levers. If If all the levers stay up, or all of them stay down for any amount of time, that is how you make it not interesting. Um, so we've talked about this before, but the main idea behind this, right, is, is 
with everything music, interest is created by change. Not sameness, but change. You know, the the call and answer pattern, right? It's just about change. You can't have a call and call pattern. That would be boring and people would be done with the song after 30 seconds. You can't do that. Everything is about ebb and flow, right? The high notes don't seem that high if you sing high notes the entire time. The low note doesn't seem impressively low. If you're low the whole time, like people get over it, right? It starts to just become status quo. What makes something interesting is the change. The constant changes is what creates interest. So similarly, with all of these four levers we're going to talk about, one is not more interesting than the other. Interest is created by moving these levers up and down. Think of it literally like looking at four levers. You see four levers. How interested and how long are you going to be interested in two levers up and two levers down? The two on the left are up and the two on the right are down. And, you know, if you want to make one sort of midway or whatever, fine, whatever. But they're not moving. They're just there. How long are you going to be interested? Not very, right? But what if the, the, the levers are moving up and down, maybe some of them at different speeds, and there's always a, a slightly different combination of where these levers are, right? The first one's up, second one's down, and the second two are up. And then next thing you know, all of them are down. And then, you know, one of them is, is the one on the far right is up, and the other three are down, right? That's what creates interest. And I know that you're thinking, wait, I mean, watching levers wouldn't be that interesting for that long anyway. Um, and yes, that's, that's obviously true. Um, but you get the idea, right? So change is what the root of what causes interest is change. Um, so the TLDR or whatever of this podcast is change. We're going to dive into each of those changes. Um, but the main idea here is change. It's got to change. It can't be all the same. All right. So the first one, first piece we're going to talk about here is long versus short notes. Uh, So this can be legato versus staccato. So, you know, staccato versus legato. Right. Um, or, you know, just seeing it as, as, as long versus short, because to an extent, right, staccato is really just a short, a very, very short note, such a short note that there's sort of a bop to it. And that's a little oversimplified, but you know, um, you can't exactly have a whole note that is staccato, (laughs) right? Like that's not, that's not really a thing. Um, but you can't have a legato, um, uh, long note, which is, not exactly how you look at it either, but uh, we're not going to get too deep into technicalities here. The idea is I could do this, right? They're all about the same, right? That's not very interesting, but let's just change one of them. Right? 
right? Already it's more interesting. And literally it's just, you know, if we're assuming this to be one measure four four time, I just changed it to half note, quarter, quarter, half note, quarter, quarter, half note, quarter, quarter, right? And just that little change of, you know, a slightly longer note with the shorter notes already makes it more interesting, right? And then if we, and that's staying on the same note. So, so let's say, you know, we actually have a more realistic melody where there's actually some movement, you know, so something like that melody is not that interesting, right? I just went up and down and all the notes were the same length. That sounds more like some random guitar part I'd have an arrangement way in the far back that you can't really pick out that's just there to fill in the mix. That's what that sounds like to me. But what if you just change the le the, the length of one of the notes, what those notes? Right? Like all of a sudden that's already more interesting. Right? Like, it, it already gains some level of interest. And again, I'm not pretending that's an interesting melody, right? Like, I just, I just, I'm very crammed in here with my mic because I didn't really think through my setup before, before recording this podcast. But, um, whoops. Um, but the idea being that it gets more interesting just with that change, right? And, and it's not that the long notes are more interesting. Right? So it's, the short notes is not the problem with this. That's not the problem. The problem is that it's all the same. Right? If we just made them all long. If anything, that's worse, right? Like now it feels like it's dragging and you're like, oh my goodness, just move, please move on. Right? But. All of a sudden, it gets a little more interesting. There's a little more intrigue there because we're mixing up the length of notes. Right? So let's just do a little improv thing here. Right, so I'm, I'm mixing up some long and short. It's not all the same. So again, sameness is what's going to kill you. So long versus short notes. Second, second lever. Up versus down. The tendency is that rising notes tend to have a hopefulness and sort of a rise in tension. Right, that feels like it's gaining some, some, some hopefulness, whereas... It feels uh, the the falling notes tend to have a little bit more of a sad feel and also a lessening of tension, right? It feels like tension is a little re relieved by this compared to, right? Like it feels like it's building somewhere, rise in tension, right? Uh, which also goes to show, because I think sometimes uh, people tend to overly... Um, ascribe 
attention just to dissonance. Um, so they, they, they tend to assume that the main way or the only way to create tension in music is like, Oh, add dissonance. Um, and that's just totally wrong. Uh, that is, that is one way that is a good way. Um, and then there's, of course, there's different levels of dissonances, right? Um, but, but, but that's a, a smaller way of thinking about it. Like ten, there's little subtle tensions in, in a lot of things. Uh, and it's not just in harmony, specifically dissonant harmony that you can, uh, raise or lower tension. But, um, so, you know, if the whole song went up, first of all, you'd run out of your vocal range pretty fast, probably. But like, you know, you, you can't just keep going up. That that it's uninteresting. See, I, I I didn't even mean to go down. It just happened because it was getting so boring. Even though that was the point of what I was trying to do, is just boring, right? You can't just keep going up. Um, and even that, like, yes, technically I went. So from here, when I started again with that, I'm technically going down. But for the most part, in the phrase, within the phrase, right, the phrase is clearly this. Right, so that was all up. So even within the phrase, making sure to have some movement up and down, which again, not every phrase needs to be that. So you can have this phrase. But then if you do it again, it's like, okay, where are you going with this? And then if you do, you know, up again, like it, it just starts to get really boring really fast. Um, similarly, you don't want to be going down the whole time. Now, this is something that usually intuitively you're going to do. And most of these things, I think intuitively, most of us probably do as musicians. We just have, because we know music, we, we understand to some degree, uh, what causes interest and intrigue implicitly. We just kind of know. Um, that being said, like everything else, right? It's, it's sort of like some of the rules I make, right? Like the, the tattoo lyric rule that I believe we talked about last week is it's just something to keep you accountable, to think back on. That's an easy thing to remember to, to, you know, in case you're looking at it in this case, right. Or for a lyric, right. If you're looking at a lyric and you're like, why am I just underwhelmed with my own lyric? The tattoo lyric concept can help bring you out of that, right? Just like the iterative lyric writing concept can, can help bring your lyric to the next level, right? Like these are just things that are meant to help you when you need something to boost you out of that rut or something to keep in mind all the time so you never fall into the rut in theory. Um, 
So, of course, you know that you need to go up and down a little bit, but like maybe you have a part of your melody that's just not quite interesting enough to think through some of these things, you know, long versus short notes, up versus down, may shine a light on why it's not that interesting and what you can do to make it more interesting. Maybe you realize you're going up too much, right? The whole song is built on rise, 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 and it just gets old. And you didn't really think about it until these rules, right? Uh, so that's sort of the purpose of these is, again, just it's helpful sometimes to take a step back and think about why things work. Um, that's, that's why slight soapbox here. But if you followed this podcast for any amount of time and the blog, um, which if you don't know, there's a blog there. There is a blog songwritertheory.com. Um you know that I'm, I harp on the importance of music theory. Um, and not music theory in the sense of like getting really deep into all the crevices. I know a lot of worthless music theory. Um, that's only academic knowledge. But there's a lot of music theory that's incredibly helpful to songwriting. Uh, basically the, there's four main pillars that I consider it super imperative to songwriting, which if you're curious about that, I'll have a link in the description. Uh, I have a free guide that goes over those four pillars. So by the time you're through that guide, you will go from maybe not knowing any of the four pillars to knowing the four pillars. And I teach it in a way that I teach it from different angles so that there's many ways for you to remember things and it's super helpful. So go check that out. If you don't know those four pillars and don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Um, so similarly with that, you know, thing that I preach constantly about the importance of music theory, just in general, it is very helpful to not just be like, well, this is good enough. I'm good enough. And you know, it's, it's fine. It can help to bring yourself to the next level to step back instead of like, keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper. Take a step back, take a step back, learn a little bit of the music theory that you need to know, or would be very helpful to know. I should say, um, take a step back, look at your song from a different point of view. Take a step back. Maybe try to rewrite a whole verse and pretend your verse doesn't exist. Save it, obviously, the original version, because you don't want to lose it in case that one does end up being better. But, you know, take a step back. Take a step back and, and, and figure out what's a process that I can learn to make my lyrics better. Take a step back. Why is my melody not that interesting? Instead of just like, work at it, work at it, work at it. Um, you know, take a step back and think, well, okay, Let's try to look objectively why this isn't working, because to some extent, even though, yes, this is an art, there is some, you know, scientific whatever to it, right? Like there's a reason that that that, you know, the baseline just gets seeped into someone's soul. Right. And that's what you feel at the concert. And, and, and you know, the, 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 there's a reason that pop music has become more formulaic because to some extent they know some science of what sticks in people's heads or whatever. And they just do that. Um, which is of course not very artistic when we get to the point that robots might as well be writing the music, but, um, there, there's a reason for some of those things. So you have to admit that there's some level of math and or science to this. It is not 
just willy-nilly you can do whatever the heck you want because otherwise there would be no such thing as keys and you could just play whatever the heck notes you wanted and it would sound good and it doesn't. Otherwise your cat could play the piano. Anyway, long soapbox. Sorry. Third thing, small intervals versus large intervals. So small intervals feel natural, right? Because it's a little more um, like talking, right? Talking, you generally stay relatively monotone, right? Like you're not, you're not, you're not jumping up and down with your voice, right? For the, like for the majority of the podcast, I'm talking right around here. Do I know what note this is? No, I have no idea. Um, you know, or around what pitch it is. Um, you know, if your voice is tired, it might be a little lower. If you're excited, it might be a little higher, but for the most part, humans while talking are, a differing degree of monotone, right? Like, you know, I, I might talk a little bit up here when I'm excited or, uh, you know, go a little lower when I'm trying to make a point or when I'm, you know, being, giving some dry sass or whatever. Uh, but for the most part, like there's not too many leaps. Like I don't, I'm not usually going to talk like this and then talk like this, right? Like it, people don't do that. That's not a natural thing. Um, so small intervals can feel very natural and conversational while large intervals, uh, highlight, right? Like, like everybody remembers somewhere in somewhere over the rainbow, right? Because it's an octave leap, right? Like you just, you just notice that, right? So... Right? You notice that leap, right? That's there was a leap there. Again, like you notice the leaps. Um, So mixing in large and small intervals again helps create some level of interest. So use that large interval once in a while to break up the more singable small intervals. The other advantage of small inter- intervals, if you want to see it as an advantage, is singability, right? Is a is a factor you can think about with your song, right? Some songs are more singable than others, right? Like um I'm I live in the United States, if you don't know that. Um and the na- our national anthem is known for being not very singable. Right. Decent singers, good singers have a hard time singing our national anthem. Um, now, I believe it's an awesome national anthem. Right. It's pretty epic because it has large leaps and the whole song covers an octave and a sixth. I believe the issue with that. Right. Is as far as singability, you know, your average person doesn't have an octave and a sixth of range. Now, a decent singer, I would hope, has a an octave and a sixth. Right. If you're a decent singer, I would hope you're at least close to that. Hopefully you are that more like two octaves or plus. Um, but you know, it's, it's known for not being singable, right? Like everybody in the audience, if you're at a sporting event, people are dropping down the octave in order to finish singing it. Right. And then, you know, that's why I don't sing it at all because that hurts me to want to jump down the octave, but I also don't want to be that show off. That's like, look at the high notes I can sing guys. So, so I just, I just, you know, stand there respectfully and, and, and don't sing it, even though I kind of want to, because man, is that, a, it, it's epic. It's so epic. It's, it's great. But anyway, it's not singable, right? So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, cause I think that's a 
it's just a fantastic national anthem. It's it's gives goose goosebumps, and I don't think it's just because it's the national anthem. Like it just genuinely is a is a it feels like a feat for a singer to sing it. Um. So the large intervals dial back the singability. Right? All of a sudden, people singing along to your song in the car. People are having to go down the octave. People might miss the note and then kind of give up, right? But, but you know. Anybody can sing that, right? Like, it's, it's all notes right in a row. There are no big leaps. Um, so I, I basically covered a, a what? A diminished, diminished fifth. I didn't even reach a full perfect fifth there um, in that. So think of it sort of like the difference between slinking around in a haunted house, right? You're just sort of... You know, nobody's going to catch you. That ghost doesn't know you're there. That guy with the chainsaw doesn't know you're there. Versus... Right, that, that big difference. Oh, somebody sees you. They heard you. They know you're coming. Uh, or they, they know where you are, so now they're coming. Um, so changing it up between small and large intervals is, again, just another lever of creating interest. Similarly, though, again, because one is not always greater than the other, if you just keep doing these large intervals, that's not going to stay interesting. See, I already gravitated towards doing something close, so. Right, like that's just wonky, right? Like forcing all large intervals just wonky. It's probably not going to sound good. It's not going to stay that interesting. It's, it's only with a backdrop of smaller intervals. Right, that that big interval is interesting. Um, and similarly, if you have too many, if you have a bunch of large intervals going on, all of a sudden a smaller interval seems more interesting because again, with these with this lever concept, it goes up, it goes down. What it creates interest is the change, not which one you're on. Um, so, like if we go through the three so far, right? Like if you are doing mostly shorter notes that are all going up and large intervals, it's not any of those choices that make that interesting. It's the fact that two seconds ago you were doing a long note, or a short note, whichever one is the opposite of what I said before, that's going down and large intervals, right? Like, like it's, it's all these, these things constantly moving up and down. And the last one is consonant versus dissonant. So consonant feels pleasant and relatively tension-free or less tense, right? Like, obviously, we can create tension with other things, such as, you know, rising melody, as we talked about before. But um, dissonance is going to add tension. It's not the only thing it does, but it certainly does add tension. And tension and release is everything for music, right? Like almost all of music can be condensed. All of intrigue in music can be condensed down into tension and release, not dissonance and consonance, but tension and release. Um, 
right? The tension that's caused by a melody being all in one little place. And then the, the release of, of a change or something, right? So hopefully, as I did that little imp improvisation, that you were you were listening for some of the things, the, right? The, the a little bit of long versus short notes. So when I say long, you know, it's it's not necessarily like a whole note versus a sixteenth note, right? Like it's just not all quarter notes, not all half notes, not all you know one type of note. There's some change there. There's even if it's very slight, right? Even if it's just all quarter notes and dotted quarter notes and and ha up to maybe half notes, right? Like so um there are so 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 many different subtle things you can do that 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 keep it a little more interesting. And then so for the consonants versus dissonance this is the only one of these four levers that is chord dependent. So long versus short notes, up versus down, small intervals versus large intervals, right? Those are all something that the melody on its own does. Consonance and dissonance is actually created by the melody pairing with the chords, right? So this sounds pretty consonant. All of those notes were consonant because all of them were exactly in the chord. That is a C major chord, and I'm not playing a single note outside of it. But this... That has some dissonance to it. Now, not a lot, right? It's not this, or this, right? Like, it's not that much dissonance, but... I'm playing a C major chord, and I went A, G, F. And G is the only note in a C major chord, and A is not in the chord. Even if you make it a seventh, right? Because um, the C major chord is C, uh, E, and G. So you can make it an add six. But now you don't have that triad anymore, and that already has a little bit more dissonance in it for a chord. Um, so, right, that's not perfectly consonant. So it has that little bit of tension. Okay, that's relieving tension, right, because that's in the chord. Tension, release, right? Because this G is in the chord and the A is not. 
Um, but then the melody I did originally, uh, using the term kind of loosely because I know it's only three notes, but you know what I mean. Right, so I, th the intrigue there, right, is tension, just a little bit, tension, release. Oh, but it went back to some tension because this wants to be relieved by going down to an E, right? Or it could go back up to the G to have the tension relieved, right? Because again, it's within the chord. Or, you know, even more so, that's a D. D with a C major chord. Oh, there we go. That's consonant, right? Because, um, because we have a, um, literally the root note of the chord, right? There's a C with a C major chord. So the first thing I want you to get from this consonance versus dissonance part is to get away from the frame of thought that like, oh, dissonance is created by, um, I feel like we, 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 we think extreme when we think dissonance. When we think dissonance, we're like, oh, it's going to be like a minor second apart. Oh, that's dissonance, man. Like, oh, listen to all that dissonance. Oh, man. Like, yes, that, that is dissonance. But you got to think of it more of a, 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 on a spectrum, right? Perfectly consonant. Music almost never stays perfectly consonant. It's always that little, little push and pull of perfectly consonant. Oh, a little tension. Right? And then it's resolved. And again, okay, or I say again, we haven't talked about this yet. Technically, so C with the C major chord. D with a C major chord, and then B, which really wants to go back up to this, right? Because it wants to be resolved. But you also, right? So here's here's an here's here's a little choice you can make, right? So when you're like, okay, I want to relieve the tension. Let's say in your melody you want, okay, you want that tension there. Maybe you decide you want to relieve the tension on this note, but you want to keep this note without going back up to the C, right? So your, your choices are, there's more choices than this, but just to simplify it, to, to sort of talk this through, right? So first of all, we already have the like up, down, and then we had a little bit of an interval change, right? This is just up, up a step, and then this is down two, right? Like I'm going from C, D, and then down two to B. Um, and this is all in the, the key of C. Well, technically it could be the key of G. Um, or some other keys, technically, but right now we're considering it the key of C. Um, so anyway, um, so you have this C perfectly consonant with its C major chord. Well, we don't know it's C major. There we go. Now we know it's C major. So... Maybe you don't want this to be dissonant. So your options are to bring it back up to this, so. 
Right? So it's resolved or So how'd I choose that now, right? That went down by two steps again to a G. Well, it's because I know my option to, to, to really make it feel resolved or some level of t uh, tension release. I shouldn't say resolved, consonant, right? Resolved, resolved is another thing that's uh, similar to consonants versus dissonance, um, but a little different and I think a little uh, more different than people give it credit for. But we can talk about that another time. Um, but but I resolved it to a G, which is in the C major chord, right? So basically my choice is, okay, you can stay committed to that chord, but you got to change what note you end on to resolve that tension, or I can just change the chord, so. Ooh, okay. This is no longer, this B, right, the... There's a little tension there, right? There's a little dissonance there because this, right? This C and this B, they're almost an octave apart, but really it's playing this. So you have this, you have this interval, which is actually a minor second, which is the smallest interval we have in Western music. Um, but, I changed the chord to a G, which has a B in it. So the con so that's another way to get rid of the tension, right? And that changes everything about that melody. Even though that's a simple melody, right? Like the the feel behind this melody almost has like a lonely sound. Something's not just not quite right. Got a little sadness to it, even though it's major. Versus... All of a sudden that seems to have a little more hope. Right? Like, that, there's, there, there, it has a different character to it. Even though it's the exact same melody, dialing up or down that consonance versus dissonance to, to really flavor that melody is huge. Right? So, again, brief recap. Long or short notes. Up versus down. Small intervals, large intervals. Consonants versus dissonance. And again, all of these are not levers that can either be up or down, right? There's in between. Because just that little jump of is more than just, right? Like we're not just doing just one step in every direction, right? Just that little, that, and that's a tiny jump, right? Like. That literally is is like the smallest jump we can we can have because that would be just a step. We only went one note farther to to get a jump, right? Like that's a tiny jump, um, but that helps create intrigue. But then you know, ooh, okay. Now I added a big jump, which helps make it even more interesting, right?
So I hope with that little thing, with that little improv again, that you just, you just picked out some of these, okay, long versus short, up versus down, little, these little, little minor changes that, that, that bring it from being colossally boring to like having a slightly intriguing melody, right? So something that captured your attention for 20 seconds there, however long it was. Um, so I hope this was helpful to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been a listener for a long, for a long time, know that I appreciate every single time you decide to hit that download button or if it automatically downloads for you because you've subscribed and your podcast app allows you to turn that on, that it just automatically downloads when you're on Wi-Fi, which is a sweet feature. Thank God the Google, uh, the Google, um, Google Podcasts app just added that feature. So that's cool. But um, however long you've been listening to this, I appreciate every single download, every single listen. If you did want to get the free guide on music theory and those four major pillars of music theory that I think are super important for songwriters to know, the link will be in the description at songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. And I will talk to you next time.